0: hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I am streaming live from Sioux Falls, South Dakota today. Uh, Rained all day yesterday, beautiful day today. Boy, the weather can change here fast. I know why my wife um, is afraid of the winters here. She's from North Dakota, and she uh, tells me, I, I love South Dakota, she says, yeah, but the winters are not that great there. So anyway, I'm loving South Dakota and I'm loving that we have Chris Habib on today. He is um, from Freedom Health Works and he is going to talk about educating consumers on how to navigate our healthcare system. And this is a perfect time for this. There is a lot of confusion in our healthcare system as there always has been for many years, but some of us have just known this it's been a little more. It's been a little bit more transparent for some of us that have known the system. Um, but boy, with this last year and a half, with what's going on in our healthcare system, it's definitely, definitely coming and rearing its ugly head. But don't be afraid, because there are ways to navigate this system, and you do not need to be controlled by somebody else. You can take control of your own healthcare, and I'm super excited to have Chris dive into that today. Um, so, Chris, without further ado. Tell us all about this.
1: Thank you, Sean, and greetings from Indianapolis. Uh, we don't quite have the weathers uh, that I'm, I'm I'm expecting you to have out there, but uh, <laughs> good, good to know, right? Um, you hit it right on the head. You know, it things don't have to be as confusing, like you said. Um, I think when people say, ask me, hey, Chris, what do you what do you do for a living? Right? The the consummate networking. My response to them every single time was, I give people an alternate choice in healthcare. And there's not a single person that was like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds really nice. And go and, you know, go to the little networking bar or go out and, you know, try to find somebody else to hand a business card out to. Everybody's going to follow up with that and say, well, what are you even talking about? One, what alternates are there? And two, what do you mean I have a choice in healthcare? Right. And so you get going down this rabbit hole and you say, well, what does healthcare really mean to the average person? How much do you know about it? And nine times out of 10, someone's going to say, oh, I have great insurance. And you go, okay, stop the presses, time out. <laughs> what does that even mean? One, tell me about your great insurance. Well, I don't have to pay for anything. Um, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, you keep just asking questions and it's the old, it's the old the If you ask somebody the question why five times, you're probably going to get to an inflection point where reality isn't quite what they think it is. Well, why do you have great insurance? Well, why do you say that? Well, why don't you pay for anything? Oh, you don't use your health insurance. Got it. Why don't you use your health insurance? Well, I can't find a doctor. Now we're getting to the, to the crush <laughs> right? of the problem, right? Now we're getting to the point. Well, why don't you have a doctor? Cause it takes me three weeks to, if I'm, you know to even see anybody it, by that time I don't need to see a doctor anymore. Ah, okay. We just hit the fundamental problem of American healthcare is that the buyer and the seller are completely separated. And that to me, Sean, is a massive problem. And you know that's why six years ago, we, we went on a mission to start Freedom Health Works to put doctors back in control of healthcare and really reestablish the doctor-patient relationship that for the past 30, 40 years has really gone by the wayside. Um, we don't have Norman Rockwell type of physicians anymore. It's a really uh, kind of a romanticized image you see that Norman Rockwell painting where, you know, the old town is making a house call and he's got his stethoscope on the little doll's chest to, to hear the little girl's doll. And you know, that, that got away from us for so long, but you know, as, as I'm sure a lot of you listeners know, it's making a big time comeback. Doctors are taking charge again. And Freedom HealthWorks is here to, to empower patients and physicians to really make or, and take control of their healthcare decisions. And, um, that is a very, very liber- liberating concept for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, it sure is. So, so tell us a little bit about your. I know a little bit about your history. Tell us a little bit about your your story and your and your history, because um, you were going to originally be a doctor, correct?
1: I was. I was the youngest of three children. Uh, both my parents are physicians. Dad's a GP, and um, you know I, I don't want to say he's just a primary care doctor. I think you know a general practitioner is a jack of all trades and, and, and a very admirable profession at that mom's an internist. Um, I'm not one of those people that believes that you have to go super specialized as a physician to, you know, to be successful. Um, I think it's a lot harder for a lot of primary care doctors out there to be able to feel ground balls from all over the place. And so I basically grew up in a doctor's office. The school bus would actually drop me off uh, at my dad's office you know, every day uh, until <laughs> until I got old enough to actually drive myself around. And so I got to see um, the impact that really a town physician can make. Um, I'm from, a, a, God, as a city now, but north of Indianapolis called Westfield, Indiana. Dad was the first primary care doctor in that town back in the early eighties. Everybody knows him. We couldn't walk into a restaurant without saying, hey doc, hey big, how are you? Good to see you. Um, you know, how's the kids? How's, and he knew everybody. And that was cool. And he'd been citizen of the year, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so. Sean, that's what I thought all doctors were like, you know, maybe I had a really great example or what I found out is that I had the exception to the rule growing up with my parents, that everybody knows them and and people treat them with, you know, it's a prestigious profession. Not a lot of people can do it, but the respect that they got, incredible. And that's to me, again, going back to that Norman Rockwell painting, that's what medicine was. That's what doctors did. And so, uh, my, my older brother and sister uh, opted not to go into medicine. And so, here I am. I, I'm like, well, I, I'm kind of the closest one to it. I love the sciences. You know, those are, those are some of my best courses and favorite courses. And so, I go to pre-med and, and I do, you know, getting a business major at the same time, which is really strange. And not a lot of professors really understood what the hell you know, this Haven kid was trying to do. Um, but I remember the day that I closed my MCAT study book, it was about, um, you know, 2008. And I graduated undergrad in two thousand nine, and uh, you're going through, you're shadowing different physicians, you're looking at different medical schools to see what you know, kind of what what they're teaching. And I will got into the habit of asking, hey, if you had the chance, would would you go back and do this again? Would you go back and be a doctor? Why are you in administration? Why are you teaching? And to a T, every single one of them said, there is no way in hell I'd go back and be a physician anymore. Not with, what, not what, what year talk. was this?
0: 2008,
1: okay. So 2008 was a big year in healthcare because right. that is when American uh, the affordability, whatever the hell it was, ACA was um, being debated in Washington D.C. And so you're looking at this massive corporate and government takeover of very intimate, very ground floor healthcare decisions. You know, the, the authors of the ACA thought that healthcare innovation would come from consolidation of big hospital systems powered by government spending and government programs. That was the crux of the ACA. Uh, it was about 2014 when one of the authors published in the Wall Street Journal said, uh, a, a really actually uh, an insightful Mia culpa saying, yeah, we missed the mark there, big time. When we rolled up and, and incentivized big hospital systems, you know, we made it legal for hospitals to charge 10x on an MRI, what an independent imaging center could do, um, You know, they said, we missed the mark big time. Innovation was not happening at these big monopolies of healthcare. Innovation was actually taking, taking place on the ground floor. And anybody who has an independent pharmacy like yourself, an independent clinic, an independent practice understands, well, yeah, I'm kind of the one that knows my patients best. And if a drug isn't working for them, I don't need to run this up and look at four different formularies and talk to six different administrators and doctors to be able to make a choice for that patient. And so you're kind of thinking, well, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the flexibility and the innovation happens at the individual practice level, right? And so, you know, going back to my story, I I saw that, heard what the doctor said. Even my own parents um, were saying, look, Chris, we we might have a few years left. Um, Reimbursements are getting harder and harder to get. It's taking longer to get them. Um, which as an aside, I have a general problem with the term reimbursement as is used in medicine anyways, but that's a different story. <laughs> it's a topic for a whole other discussion. A whole different story, right? Uh, <laughs> there's a couple of like, word, keywords and, and 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 buzzwords we use in healthcare that I'm like, I don't even think that applies. But um, reimbursements are going down, Our overhead. We have to hire somebody just to scan documents into our EMR to, to beg Medicare to scrape us some money. Please, please, please and hope that we got all the coding right, you know, for all these different things. They're like, I don't wanna practice this way anymore. We're probably done in a couple of years. And they said it too, they, they would not go back and be doctors. And it's like, wow, that's so powerful to hear from, not just loved ones, but people out there, right? Realizing that, hey, if this thing goes through, we're gonna lose and disillusion a lot of those people that we trust to care for us. And so that's why I said, you know what? I'm not gonna do this. So I spent some time in some different stuff, retail and, and, and real estate, and healthcare was always very, very you know, near and dear to my heart. Um, you couldn't go to a Sunday night dinner at my folks' house without talking about you know, patient stories. And I'm like, this is so cool to hear doctors make an impact on individual lives and how powerful that is. There's got to be something here. And so you know, we started, uh, my brother and I uh, co-founded Freedom Health Works, and so it's it's very much a family business. And we started thinking, well, we have an entrepreneurial background. You know, we've been working together for about 12 years now, give or take, 11 years. And we're very good at starting businesses, and we've had some successes, and we've learned from some of our failures there. But, you know, we said, why don't we help doctors get off first base? You know, if an average physician has five hours of medical education throughout undergrad, throughout medical school, and throughout residency, let's go in and help them start LLCs and put business plans together. and and you know, just get off the ground, then we'll move on and and kind of do that for a while. And so we started putting this together and we kept coming back to two massive barriers in healthcare. One was the government, one was insurance companies. They were stymieing every single piece and thread of innovation that we ever heard of. As we kind of did our barnstorming tour, you know, across the country here talking to doctors who were just accepting cash. And so that's when we learned that, you know, there's already models out there like this that. Some doctors were just on a retainer. Others were doing, you know, a kind of form of, of what we consider concierge medicine right now. Some were, you know, just accepting one or two insurances. Some were doing memberships. Some were doing visit fees only. I mean, there is a plethora of models. And so throughout those years, we, we learned from a lot of people who are doing this, a lot of pioneers that, you know, we're making some mistakes and looking back on it now. It's like, I wish I would have given them a little bit more advice than you know, what we were able to bring to the table at that point. But that's what we started doing. We're like, how do we pluck physicians who say, I can't practice this way anymore with, you know, bowing down to insurance companies and employers. How do we get them to be empowered to start making individual care decisions free of outside coercion for their patients? And then how do we educate patients about this model and letting them know that going back to what we said earlier, your health insurance does not equal your healthcare. That those are two completely separate concepts
0: two completely different industries and services out there. So tell us a little bit more about this model, because I am, first of all, I'm very optimistic. I was just talking to somebody the other day who, um, because of some of the medical freedom that is going on or lack of medical freedom that's going on now, he is choosing to leave his an employer. He's in, um, actually, he's a first responder, Mm -hmm. and um you know one of the questions he asked me was about about um he was asking me about about health insurance because he knew that we had a different way Mm -hmm. but one thing he was he said he goes hey i got this friend and he's got this doctor in ellensburg washington that is a he pays a monthly fee for something and he gets unlimited visits and i'm like that's really cool that the word's getting out there it's not just kind of underground anymore so Tell us a little bit about direct primary care. That's kind of what you're talking about, but there's many different models of that too. Correct? There are a couple. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of different
1: models, and that's the beauty of it. Um, direct primary care, to me, is not really a great name for an industry, but direct primary care is more of an idea. And you know, you're really pulling in from the direct aspect of it, and it is not limited to to primary care. You know, I've heard that P staying for pay or patient care. You know, direct patient oh, care. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of different things in that. And and just to draw a a real quick black and white between what a lot of people consider to be concierge medicine, it's just been a term that's been around longer, probably about 10, 15 years longer, maybe 20 years longer than what people consider to be DPC industry. Um, Concierge medicine will still bill insurance most times, a little higher price point going after a little bit different demographic, Um, lower patient volume from their standpoint too. From a direct primary care industry, You know the prevailing model that we're seeing, and the ones that we use to institute into our uh, practices, um, it's kind of the on-demand healthcare. You pay a monthly fee, and you can call, text, go see your doctor anytime that you want. Okay, you can be at the. We've had stories of of patients at the grocery stores. So, you know, taking a picture and saying, "Hey, does this, you know, does this apple or this apple going to be better for my recent blood test and my recent lab results?" Like, what what kind of veggies and things should I be buying? We've had clients who've gone grocery shopping with 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 patients, and really, what it is is not so much as a retainer, but you're you're getting just the elevated access. You're getting your physician on speed dial something that I grew up with being able to call mom and dad anytime we needed them. Right. Um, we would say, you know, it's like having a doctor in the family and that should be the quarterback of your care. Um, I know a lot of people when they try to talk about this industry and really what membership healthcare is or on-demand healthcare, what they talk about is, well, you're going to have no wait times. You're going to be able to call me or text me. It's going to be cheaper in the long run, blah, 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 blah. They're talking about the features of what they're providing from a medical service. And that's necessary. That's important. But we like to elevate that conversation into, all right, let's let's make this more of a peace of mind. Let's make this a service that you need for your family's health security. All right. So what does that mean? Um, I like to use the example, Sean, that if you ever have to go to a court of law for whatever reason, hopefully, you know, not criminal court of law. Um, <laughs> there are very few of us who are going to walk into anything where we are uneducated. We're not attorneys. And even most attorneys will walk in there with their attorney. Okay. I think you can kind of understand where I'm going with this. You would never walk into a court of law, no matter what, maybe even not small claims court, and try to represent yourself throughout the entire legal process. Now, why do patients do this? And why have they settled for that exact scenario without having a physician Hold their hand and next to them every step of the way. You know it's obviously rhetorical, but yeah, think of think of the typical patient interaction, right? They go to, uh, and I know you see this, you know, from the pharmacy side. And a lot of times, people probably walk into your pharmacy and be like, uh, "Yeah, I'm not really sure I'm taking this drug. Can you help me out here?" And it's like, well, all the time? <laughs> how does that make sense to anybody? You know, say that you you your doctor comes and sees you, and it's a typical health system and a hospital, and you think that they're benevolent and have your best interests in mind. Again, I'm sure we'll get to that point. Um, They say, yeah, I'm here at this cardiology office because my doctor said I needed these tests. And they say, okay, great. Yeah, we'll get you in there. Nobody's explained why they need those tests. Nobody's explained how these tests will help form some other decision later on. So the cardiologist does the test and they say, great, uh, you're actually, uh, you're going to need some surgery here. Oh, okay, go talk to this surgeon. You never actually meet the surgeon. Surgeon never really explains a lot besides, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this. Sounds good. Yep. Uh, Away you go. The impact that has on people's lives from a mental stress, asking a lot of questions of, well, wait a minute, is this really what I need? Is this going to fix me? Is this going to make things worse? What's going to be going on? Am I better off just doing diet and exercise? Do I actually need this? Right? There's a lot of there's a lot of questions going through people's minds. Is this the right doctor? Am I in the mm-hmm. right place? Um, did I did I did I tell them all the medications that I'm already on? You know, is there gonna be some complications here? If you don't have a quarterback to lead you through that journey and get a second opinion and ask questions, you're doing yourself and your family a, a huge dis, disfavor. I mean, bottom line. And that's well, and, I, and, I and I that's the advocacy part of it. And, and that's that's huge yep. to people, and that's that's something that's very much missing in our healthcare industry.
0: Right. And, and I'll say this in defense of the patients. Um, a, a lot of times it's just ignorance. They don't know any better because our traditional healthcare system has really let them down. So primary care doctors aren't doing what they used to do. And they basically primary care doctors in big hospital systems, healthcare systems, the corporations, the big corporations, they have literally just become referral sources for for, for specialists. And, um, you know, so they're, they're really not educating their patients appropriately, but like you say, it doesn't have to be that way. So Mm -hmm. if your doctor is not taking the time to go over all this stuff with you, um, then you need to find a new doctor and that's not hard to do. And that's one of the things that um, you help doctors set up kind of a practice to get out of the system. Correct,
1: Chris? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our biggest mission is connect. You know, patients seeking for what, seeking exactly what you just said, you know, and, and, and here's a challenge to anybody out there listening. to everybody out there listening that, you know, to echo what you said, Sean, if you walk into your doctor's office and they cannot tell you the price of the services that they're, that they're about to offer you,
0: get out of there. Ab- absolutely. 100%. I mean, and, and it, it's, it's almost amazing we have to discuss that, Chris. But Isn't that's it? True. It, it's, it, uh, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. If there should be no, there should be all transparent pricing and no surprises. Absolutely. And you know, they're going to give you the, the typical, well,
1: the price depends. And if that is the second thing they say out of their mouth, get out of there.
0: I mean, <laughs> depends what card I, mean, you show I, me. I know. And then we could, we could really, we could really go on and on about this issue. And we've talked about it a lot on our podcast and mm-hmm. I don't mind. Keep just keep talking about it. Cause it needs to be reiterated, but if we compare that our healthcare industry to any other industry, imagine going to your mechanic and saying, well, how much to I get charged to, to get my oil changed? Well, you know, it really kind of depends. Well, no, it doesn't. You know what kind of car I have. I mean, it should be pretty simple. Or imagine going buying groceries. Well, how much does a 10-pound bag of potatoes cost? Well, it kind of depends. It depends on blah, blah, blah. Well, no, it should be pretty clear. Right.
1: Yeah, and and, there, and why I bring that up, besides just being a fantastic point to just drill in on, is that I am a firm believer that a lot of physicians, most physicians who cannot answer that question, are complicit in a lot of problems that we see from a macro scale. And I, and I don't say that lightly, right? Because that's as, a
0: power. That's a powerful statement, Chris. That's a very powerful statement. I, I don't say yes, that lightly. I agree with you.
1: And and. And well, there we go. I got I got another. <laughs> I got somebody else on my side there. But, you know, I, I don't want to piss off because our, our clients are physicians, right, um, and, and medical practitioners. But if you are unable to tell somebody, even with 95 percent confidence, 85, 75 percent confidence, give them a, give them a ballpark figure. What the price of your services that you're recommending. I don't care if that is a 100 percent successful rate. But if you're a physician and you are fixing somebody and treating them with hundred you percent, know, success rate, but yet you're also sending them into bankruptcy, are you actually doing them any favors? And there might be some people out there who says, "Well, if I save someone's life uh, and they're, you know, in debt and bankruptcy for the rest sort of their life, but at least they're still alive." And yes, okay, that's fair enough. You know, I'm a huge, huge, huge uh, uh, proponent of the sanctity of human life. Absolutely. But if you can recommend stuff that's more of a generic product or, hey, let's try physical therapy instead of getting a knee replacement, and it's a fraction of the cost, and your confidence in successful treatment goes from 100% to 95% without you know killing them, well, that should be on the table to be discussed. And you mentioned referral pipeline. Uh, last time I checked, Sean, it was illegal for a hospital to mandate that their employees refer in network only.
0: Um, you're right. It's illegal, (laughs) but believe me, the primary care doctors, as you know, their arms are twisted very, very hard to not let the patients choose where they go. And that's one thing we need to get the word out about. And it's in this podcast. Patients, you have a right to go where you want to go. If a doctor is trying to send you to a place and you don't think it's the best place and it's in house in their facility, please, please. Do your own research, get a second opinion. You do. You have choices.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and go back to what I was saying earlier. Ask why, why Why are you referring this specialist and not this one over here? Oh, you know this person? Well, great, tell me a little bit about them. Um, because where I sit, if you work for a big hospital system and you are say, hey, Chris, you gotta go see this other guy right down the hall, I'm gonna think to myself, this sounds like a conflict of interest. Mm. You know, your friendly nonprofit hospital, um, they're making a lot of good money. A lot of good money. You know, healthcare right now in a hospital is a business. Um,
0: I I, I had a guy, let me just back up a little bit. hmm? I had a guy um, uh, um, call it instead of nonprofit, um, tax exempt because they're making profits. Yeah. They just don't yeah. pay taxes on them. And it's it's a racket and and hospitals are in collusion with insurance companies to rip off the American public, period.
1: Well, I mean, go down that vein real quick. You know, most communities say you know, they give tax breaks or, or they'll give special deals on real estate to build a new hospital. You build a massive hospital complex and, you know, here in Indianapolis, um, there's like a building, build, hospital building wars going on, and, and turf grabs, turf wars. You 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 buy up a prime piece of downtown real estate, massive piece. Guess what? You're taking that off the tax rolls. Now you're impacting schools and local communities. But you're saying, hey, look, we have access to healthcare. But then those same hospitals are turning around and sending everybody to bankruptcy or suing people because they're charging inflated rates and astronomical prices. Or restricting access, and so you know if it, whenever I meet with anybody who's an economic development person, I'm saying, all right, yes, your community absolutely needs access to quality physicians and imaging, and you don't want to have you know send your people two hours away to the nearest facility. I get that, but be very, very cognizant of what you are giving up. That more of the trickle down, right? What are you giving up? How is this going to impact your school bus, you know, routes? When you take hundreds of acres off the tax rolls, even if it was just a vacant field, now it's producing nothing. And most of these hospitals are owned by out-of-state organizations. So -hmm. now you're taking local dollars and you're shipping them away, not to mention your tax base is completely decimated.
0: Is this actually a good investment? Right, and and I was in my travels yesterday and many times, um, but yesterday it just became very apparent to me. I'm walking around and there's this big hospital system. It says wellness center. And so here is this wellness center owned by a hospital. I don't know if it's public. I don't know if it's private, for profit, nonprofit. In my opinion, Chris, it doesn't matter because they're all the same. Um, and here they have a Olympic sized swimming pool. They've got hot tubs and they've got a gym bigger than any other gym in town now is that really what a hospital should own and literally i don't care if they say that it's funded out of xyz or what in general most hospitals the majority of their income and i don't care if they're nonprofit profit public if they're you know public then they're getting usually a tax you know they're getting property tax but even if they aren't getting that a majority of their income comes from federal and state programs i.e. Medicare and Medicaid. So here we are, the taxpayers building a gym at a hospital. And this gym, Chris, it probably had 20 treadmills and 20 Stairmasters. Unreal. I, I, I've never seen a private gym have that much stuff. And wow. it's, it's not what the mission of a hospital was really intended to be, in my opinion.
1: No, what do you think that equipment costs? I mean, you're a big fitness guy. I mean, give me a
0: ballpark well, to figure. Well, each own. one of those treadmills costs about five grand. I mean, so do the math. Just, just, just in cardio equipment, they had you know half a million dollars easy in cardio equipment. Wow,
1: wow, it's amazing. Um, and I'm shocked they actually put you know a wellness center together unless they're getting you know a, like you said public dollars because we always joke in, in you know in our industry at Freedom Healthworks and. You know we're, we're all membership we're all cash no no insurance no membership really cementing the doctor patient relationship but i i whenever we hear the question of someone so some patient coming up and saying well why do i need to pay extra you know why do i need to pay for a membership to come see my doctor it's the same doctor i've been seeing and they just converted their practice over i still pay for insurance and i tell them every single doctor memorize one line okay and that line is because there is no insurance code for healing somebody. Say that again. <laughs> there is no insurance billing code for actually healing a person. Wow. So you hear people talk about a sick care system. We don't have a healthcare system. We have a sick care system. Right. You know, emphasis is on specialists in surgeries. Um, you know, w- when we describe Freedom Health or really what we're doing and why we're emphasizing primary care right now, there's a couple of visuals i like to use. I, I say that you know healthcare is either built like a pyramid or built linear, just depending how people think. If it's linear, think of the alphabet. At A, you have primary care. That is going to be the entry point to the vast majority of Americans' um, experience with healthcare or a physician or a medical practitioner. Primary care is at A. At Z, I'm going to put surgeries over there. You know, people can debate that on what what they actually need there. But I'm thinking, you know, if you need surgery, someone's cutting into you, that's going to be the most evasive, most uh, severe from a financial and from a a physical uh, procedure that you can possibly do. Everything else in the middle, right, needs to start with primary care. But all too often, we're going from, well, shoot, I'm sick. Uh, I need to go to dermatologist. I need to go to cardiologist. I need to go talk to this guy over here, and on and on and on and on. And people, they treat primary care, like a, like I said, like a glorified triage system. And so the other visual I like to use is say that the United States healthcare is basically an upside-down pyramid. Now, people can probably visual that and say, well, that that doesn't make a lot of sense because you're resting on your point, right? And then you're getting bigger as you go up. And I go, that's exactly what we see. We have the fewest amount of resources, money and time, Invested in primary care, we treat primary care five to seven minutes. Boom, you're down the hall to you know my colleague who gets paid you know by the same uh, same healthcare, same hospital, and then on beyond that, we spend the vast majority of our time on prescriptions and money, uh, time and money on prescriptions, on surgeries, and on specialists. Yeah. Our mission is to push that pyramid over, get a solid base going of primary care. And then naturally, you're gonna spend more time with your primary care physician. That's gonna be, again, your quarterback of every care need that you have. And then you're gonna form your little care team, your little partnership right there and see what exactly your next steps are going to be. Now, one of the hallmarks of that and why um, you know it's been a little slow, I believe, to catch on with a lot of employers because their employer plans are built around you know, brokers making money off of insurance companies and, you know, following my logic here. So they like it when a lot of companies buy a lot of insurance. And so what we're doing is building a model where we emphasize primary care. And so naturally we have fewer and fewer specialists in surgeries, fewer prescriptions. Um, when you have somebody who's a diabetic patient, Sean, and you work with them to actually lose weight and live healthier, and they're no longer diabetic, who loses money when that happens? Absolutely, 100%. So, you know, I I said earlier, I think that, you know, a lot of people believe that their physicians have their best interests in mind, but there's somebody in the back saying, hey, you're not meeting your quota for sending people to surgery. And I kid you not, we've had conversations with surgeons, orthopedic surgeons well-known that say, Chris, one out of three people who came into my office for a consultation, our business model was, was built around me
0: sending that person into surgery, whether they needed it or not. Uh, it's unbelievable. And people don't understand that. They don't believe they don't want to believe that, or they don't know that just out of ignorance. They would think, Oh, well, come on, he's a doctor. He's not going to do unnecessary surgery. So last year, last year I interviewed a surgeon. Um, his name is uh, Dr. Sean Baker, and he is also known as a carnivore Um the carnivore doctor, he uh, is a meat only eater and he's changed people's lives because of it. And he's got a great story to where, um, as an orthopedic surgeon, he started, this is like 10, 10 years ago, he started telling his patients that he wanted to, he wanted them to go on a keto diet before he did surgery on them. Hmm. And um, lo and behold, a few months later, they didn't need surgery, they lost weight, They didn't need surgery. Well, some of his colleagues and the healthcare system filed a complaint against his license because he wasn't doing enough surgeries. So they filed a complaint on, you know, some kind of thing that was supposedly quality or whatever. And he had to, of course, fight it. Um, Anyway, I asked him, and, you know, here I am. I'm just a pharmacist. And I'm thinking, okay, peak surgery. I know in pharmacy, for instance, that probably 75% of the drugs Um, are that are prescribed to patients could be taken away if the patients change their lifestyles, you know, whether it be high cholesterol, whether it be hypertension, whether it be for reflux, you know, the list goes on, but you know, I'm a pharmacist, so I know those things, but orthopedic surgery, I mean somebody needs a new knee or they need a new shoulder. They need a new shoulder. That's just period. So I'm thinking, you know, probably only 25% of orthopedic surgeries are unnecessary. And this is coming from, and I, and I've got this quoted in this video saved. Um, when you guys can look it up, the Dr. Sean Baker, my interview with him, uh, last year, and he said 70% of orthopedic surgeries are unnecessary. Wow. 70. That yeah. is astonishing.
1: That goes along with one in three. Like I, like I just said, like I had heard. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Right. Pretty much. And, and here's one of the things, Chris, and I so appreciate you, um, you know, going into detail today and you've really achieved our goal of educating and empowering consumers to take charge of their own health. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about that I'm getting off this podcast is that direct primary care doctors, I'm sorry, primary care doctors need to get back to doing what they originally did. Mm-hmm. And I am so surprised at some of the stuff now that I see that, you know, a, a patient will go into a doctor for a, their primary care doctor for an eye infection and they're in a big health system. They'll go in there for an eye infection. I mean, routine eye infection. You just need some tobramycin eye drops, and they get referred to the ophthalmologist. The doctor won't even prescribe eye drops for them. I mean, you know, back in the day, primary care doctors—they delivered babies, they did appendectomies, mm-hmm. um, they did C sections, they they, they 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 um set bones. I mean, they did everything, and and I would. I hope that well, actually, you do see that with this direct primary care type thing. Um, that doctors are getting back to that. Your primary care doctor can take care of what'd you say, Chris, 95% of most things. For most Americans. Yeah, right.
1: and and something I just want to add to that, because I completely agree. You know, we've seen a multi-billion dollar industry, you know, really blossom the last five to ten years called health coaching. Right. That is another area that your local neighborhood town physician has completely vacated. There should not be an industry known as health coaching. That should be a conversation between your physician and a patient and a physician who knows you and knows your family, knows your history, knows your environment, and now can guide you. And again, be your advocate in there. So like you said, there are a ton of industries that doctors have just vacated. I I, I will say, I, I won't say industries, a ton of responsibilities in everyday patient care that the vast majority of physicians have vacated. It wasn't all at once, Sean. It was, it was death by a thousand cuts, right?
0: Right. It's right. every
1: six months, or, you know, I lose this or I lose this, or yep. hey, primary care doctors aren't gonna be going through nutrition counseling anymore. We're gonna give that up so that we can just see more and more and more patients every hour, every day, because that is the only way that we can bill insurance is from a volume game.
0: Right. Right. So, Chris, as we wrap this podcast up, um, what what is so from a consumer standpoint, what can what is the best way a consumer can do to navigate this system? Number one thing to do is ask questions.
1: You know that that uh, I I could give you the canned answer here of uh, you got to go to our website, you got to talk to this. But the number one question is number one thing is you have to ask questions. And you have to make sure that your priorities and what you want to get out of medical care matches up with whoever you are going to see. And if you don't like the answers that you're getting opt out, there is an entire Thank alternate you. healthcare system that is blossoming and growing. You've talked about it a ton on your show and you know, that's what we do at freedom HealthWorks. We connect, you know, we help doctors get up started and then, um, you know we always say that freedom health works makes freedom docs and from there patients being able to join them on their own free will and volition there is, you have a choice in healthcare and so you know you ask those questions that you want you want to know the answer to and if you don't like the answer you don't have to go business as usual anymore you don't have to settle for the status quo there are solutions out there that will fit your needs, whether you want primary care, whether you want specialty care, whether you just want somebody to talk to if you're lonely, uh, you know, there's emotional health and mental health that primary care doctors yes. are taking back now. And that is a very, very powerful force. And so the more patients that understand this, again, that your health insurance plan does not equal your healthcare needs, right, and that health insurance is most likely a barrier to getting the type of care that you want or that you need you start thinking about it a little bit differently asking the right questions and then we'll be here with open arms to uh, to accept you in the uh, the new way of experiencing healthcare.
0: awesome i love it chris so what's
1: the best way to get a hold of you so freedom health works um, you know we we've actually just recently launched a consumer brand called freedom doc freedomdoc.care doc uh, you go on there. you can check out exactly what we stand for, what we're doing, where our clinics are. and then uh, see so you got pulled up on the screen. So I also host a podcast, which is always uh, a lot of fun. And Sean, you've been on there before called a Healthcare of- Americana. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know we 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 probably talked to a lot of the same people, which is was a lot of fun and and uh, we come at it from an innovation standpoint. So we talk to a lot of doctors, a lot of people like yourself, a lot of companies who are getting in the space and saying, you know what? Um, the way we did things before, isn't sustainable. We're not doing anybody any favors here. And, and my favorite guests are always the guys that uh, guys and gals that call themselves reformed hospital administrators or reformed uh, insurance brokers. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> these these are people that had like an ethical breakdown thinking, wow, when I'm out there selling health insurance, I'm getting paid by insurance companies. I'm not doing right by my quote unquote clients. Who every year I go up for renewal, they say, What can I do for you? And they say, Save me money, take care of my people. And they say, Well, I can't do that, but I can increase your prices by 15%. Sign on the dotted line. And those are some of the most powerful stories out there. And and you know, kudos to you for for doing this for, forever and, and uh love the content because this is how this is how movements start, right? We gotta tell Absolutely. the stories
0: and show people that it's real. So, so speaking of powerful stories, um, Monday on our podcast, don't, don't listeners and viewers and you too, Chris, uh, you want to tune in. I have John Chamberlain, who is a former hospital administrator, and he is going to be discussing on our podcast, charity care in a hospital. Hospitals love to brag about how much charity care they give a year. And it is a racket. People, you want to tune in. You do not want to miss it. Monday, 1230 to 130 Pacific Standard Time. Charity care that hospitals talk about and big healthcare systems, it's nothing like you won't think it is. It is not charity at all. It's some hocus pocus number that they write off. And you want to tune in a former hospital administrator administrator that's gone rogue. And actually, like you said, really, he just finally said ethically he couldn't do it anymore. And that's really what it, what it amounts to a lot of times, because hospitals are ripping people off constantly. The stories go over and over again. So Chris, in 30 seconds, what do you have a passion for?
1: We have a passion for helping people. Uh, you know, like you said there on that story, the more and more people learn about how healthcare functions, uh, you can get this very kind of a dirty feeling, but then it's easy to identify problems, but then putting solutions in the place and showing people that, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and there's a better way of doing things. Um, that's, what, that's what makes us get out of bed each morning. And, and my whole team is, um, this is the most rewarding thing we've ever done, Sean. And we're helping people all over the country.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. And as always, you can catch us on the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Facebook page and my personal Facebook page. Also, tune in to all the podcast forums, uh, like and subscribe. Um, Our YouTube channel, it's ever growing. So we've got over 750 videos on our YouTube channel, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thanks for tuning in.